Hi, and welcome to Your Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Kirk, AKA Your Selling Guide. In 2017, I quit a steady corporate desk job to travel the US in an RV. Along the way, I started selling on Amazon, grew multiple successful businesses, and wound up back to my roots as a small town girl. Today, I'm still doing what I love, selling on Amazon and helping other sellers start and grow their own online businesses. Each week on Your Selling Podcast, we will cover different aspects of selling online and highlight other sellers just like you and I. From part-time sellers creating extra income on the side to full-time sellers growing million-dollar businesses. Think of this as a sit-down with your Amazon bestie where we can learn and grow our online businesses together. Welcome to Your Selling Podcast. Hey crew and welcome back. We are continuing our January series on all things reselling and income tax. And today I'm very excited because I have a special guest, Mark Two of Not Your Dad's CPA and the Reseller Tax Academy. Now I am asking Mark all the questions about the bookkeeping and the taxes and all that stuff and why it might be worthwhile for you to hire a bookkeeper and a CPA this year for your Amazon business. Mark has a special promotion going on in January. So listen in and hear how you can grab that promo. Welcome Mark to the podcast, or I should say back to the podcast because you have been here before. (laughs) Yeah, no, good to be back. I am excited or not excited. It's never fun for me. I'm, maybe it's fun for you to talk about taxes. It's like that one thing most people dread, but it is your expertise. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast to talk about a little bit about taxes, but mostly about the year round kind of bookkeeping aspects of being an Amazon seller. Yeah. Happy to be here and, and tackle that piece, um, which is a very, I mean, that's pretty foundational when you're talking about taxes. They're very interrelated. Yes. If your books are a mess, uh, your accountant won't be happy and it will usually end up costing you more to like do all that thing. One of the starting off questions that someone had, and I thought it was a great, you know, jump off point is at what point should a seller consider hiring a bookkeeper? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, it's going to look different for everyone. There's, I always say there's no one size fits all with bookkeeping. And it just really depends on at what point it depends on where your business is at in terms of the volume it's doing, how fast it's growing, and also just your comfort level with the numbers, uh, your comfort level with whatever your current system is. Like, are you using a spreadsheet? Have you tried using a simple bookkeeping program? Have you tried using a more robust booking bookkeeping program? Um, so it, it just depends. I mean, I would probably encourage people to at least try doing it on their own in the beginning, which I think is pretty normal because when you start out, you're going to have a pretty low sales volume, so it should be manageable. So then you at least are getting your feet wet and you're getting familiar with your numbers and and what it takes. And then when you do, or if you do ultimately pass it on to someone else, a bookkeeper, um, you should have a lot more context to have, um, you know, valuable discussions with them about your numbers if you need to. Yeah. What are some of the softwares that sellers who are kind of just starting out or have already started and not done anything with their books that they can go to use? Yeah. So I kind of categorize them in three different categories. So you have spreadsheets like Excel or Google Sheets. And I always say there's nothing wrong with a spreadsheet. If you you know enjoy spreadsheets, or if, if you're good with them, then I think it's a, it's a really good option. But at some point, that's going to become 
no longer feasible if if your transaction volume is so high that you're going to spend all your time recording stuff in spreadsheets and it's no longer really makes sense. And the next place to go once you graduate or move on from a spreadsheet, I'd say was to would be to look at a simple bookkeeping program. And by simple, I mean, there are programs out there like QuickBooks, Self-Employed. Um, a lot of people used to use GoDaddy bookkeeping. That's what I would consider to be a, a simple bookkeeping program. And these are programs that that mainly have income and expense accounts. They don't typically have asset or liability or equity accounts that you would see in a more robust or more official bookkeeping program. And for people who aren't accountants or don't really want to get into um, you know, the weeds of journal entries or reconciling their numbers, which aren't bad ideas, but for a lot of people, it just, it just messes things up even more. I would consider one of those programs. Another one is seller ledger. That's uh, reselling specific. And that's a newer one that, that one of the original founders of GoDaddy bookkeeping actually put together. Um, there's my reseller genie, which is reselling specific. So those are a couple of those simpler programs that might be good to try um, if you're just getting started doing it on your own. And then you have the third category, which is the the more robust programs or what I call like full-blown bookkeeping programs. That's that's your QuickBooks Online or Zero is another one. Wave Accounting is another one. And that one's actually free if you just want to get in and kind of experiment. Um, so yeah, which the the there are various factors which will determine which one of those categories you want to look at. But um, I tell people just to kind of experiment and see what they feel like is working for them. Yeah, I've actually heard of Wave, and that's the one I usually t- recommend to people. I have QuickBooks online, but Wave, I know a couple different RV business owners who use it. And so I'm like, well, it must be easy. And the fact that it's free is great too. What's one of the first things you kind of have to do when you? get into any of the softwares? Like, let's say uh, we'll do the QuickBooks self-employed or QuickBooks online. One of the first things you have to do yeah. once you start? Um, it depends when in the year you're starting. So let's, I use, I mean, I have a handful of bookkeeping clients and I just use QuickBooks online. Um, I typically work with clients who have, uh, you know, they're doing at least a few hundred thousand in sales. So they might have an S corp. And when you have an S corp, it's more important to be able to generate a balance sheet, which consists of asset and liability and equity accounts, which is not a capability that a simpler program would have. Um, but anyway, let's say you sign up for QuickBooks Online. If you're signing up in the middle of the year, you have to decide: Well, am I just going to start my books from you know June first, or am I going to go back and start as of January first? And if that's the case, you have to see if it allows you to import all of those historical transactions back to January 1st. Sometimes your sometimes your bank only allows up to 90 days of historical data. So then in that case, you have to figure out how to upload it manually. Um, and once those transactions are in there, then you have to go through and classify them. So, you know, is it a supplies expense? Was it a contractor? Are there deposits? Are they bank transfers? Are they credit card payments? And then you just have to make sure you're classifying those correctly. Um, and there's a, a function you have to do called matching sometimes. And that's where people a lot of times mess up the books and create duplicates. 
people send me their, they give me access to their accounts all the time and they say, Hey, can you look at it and see if everything's okay? And a lot of times I'll go in and they'll show like uh, a bank account with negative $50,000. And I'm like, well, that's not accurate. And it's because they, they didn't properly categorize or match the transactions. Um, so, but I mean, th those are the first initial steps you want to <laughs> go through. That's so funny. Uh, I know when I tried to do my own QuickBooks, um, it was like, you'd like match it. And mostly I would notice it on credit card payments, like when yep. it recorded a payment, because now you've got it twice. And I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> so yeah, yes. it, I mean, it's, it's, it's too bad. They, I mean, QuickBooks, they're, they're the biggest bookkeeping company out there for small businesses and they do a lot of advertising and they try and make it look so simple. You know, anyone can do this. And it's true if you're willing to, to have a little bit of a learning curve, but I think it gives people the idea that like, Oh, I can just sign up and do my bookkeeping and it'll be simple. But it, rarely do I see someone who doesn't have at least a handful of significant mistakes. Oh yeah. Which, which so, is why I don't feel bad telling people, you know, just, just start with a spreadsheet or one of these simpler programs. Um, even if, even if your books are 90% accurate, that's better than being 40 or 50% accurate, which is what you'll probably show if you just jump straight to this, you know, uh, like full blown bookkeeping program. What happened with me this year is I hired a new bookkeeper and she went in, like you said, you give them access to go in, they do whatever, right? And she was like, yeah, your books are a mess, which is crazy because I've had a bookkeeper in the past who clearly wasn't doing her job. But anyways, um, so then I ended up paying. Well, I wasn't paying her this year, luckily, but I ended up paying her for basically the whole year. And she gave me a discount to clean it up. So I was like, not luckily, I was not double paying because I wasn't paying that last bookkeeper. But yeah, it can end up costing you money when you get it all messed up. <laughs> yeah, and I see that all the time, whether someone was doing it themselves or a lot of times they they did have a bookkeeper, but I'll I'll still find mistakes and then they end up having to go back and clean it all up anyway and spending potentially even more money. And, th and that's not always the case, but um, sometimes. So I mean, yeah, you, you just want to make sure there's nothing wrong with getting a good deal. You just want to make sure the person is doing things correctly. Yeah, that was one of my questions I was going to ask you, like, what should a seller um, really look for in a bookkeeper? Because I, I just reported, a, excuse me, I just recorded a podcast where I was talking about there are all kinds of courses out there teaching people how to be bookkeepers and not to say that that's a bad thing by any means, but that just means there's varying levels of knowledge and experience out there. So what should someone look for if they do decide to hire a bookkeeper? Yeah. I mean, you want to look for someone who's familiar with whatever platform you're selling on or, or reselling in general, because there are different ways to account for there are different ways to account for your sales. So, and I talk about this in my bookkeeping course, but so I, I call it the automated method. And that's where you get a, an integration like A2X, or there's one called link my books. And those are programs that actually, they, they link up your Amazon account or your eBay account or your Shopify account with the bookkeeping program, let's say QuickBooks. 
and they actually pull over your gross sales and all your fee information. Because if you don't do that, all you're going to see is your payout. You know, if you sell on Poshmark, you're going to see $80 income payout instead of the $100 minus the fee. So you can link it up with one of these programs and bring over everything. Uh, but if they're not familiar with reselling, they're probably not going to know how to do that or how to account for that stuff. Or you can just do what I call the simplified method, and that's just classifying those payouts as sales. So your, your profit, your net income on your books will still be the same. You'll just be seeing your net sales instead of your gross sales. So then when you do your tax return, you'll just have to do what's called grossing it up. So if, if you show $8,000 of sales in your books, you actually know that technically you'll report $10,000 on your taxes and then also show that $2,000 Poshmark fee deduction. But the ultimate result will still match your books in theory. Nice. Oh, you were scaring me there a little bit because I was like, well, I don't have all my transaction pulled in. So I do the simple way. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's probably what I would recommend for most. Um, yeah. And, until you start really, it, it just depends. You can do either. Nice. Uh, so you did mention that you do have a course and I know you are a certified CPA. You have you do people's taxes, you do bookkeeping, and you also have a course for those who want to do it on their own. So can you tell me just a little bit, since we've already kind of led into that, what are the courses? And I know there's a sale happening very soon. So what is all that? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned my bookkeeping course and that's the one I'll just say up front, it's not for everybody. It's specifically for those people who want to at least learn about or start doing their own bookkeeping in a program like QuickBooks Online or Wave. So yeah, the people who, who really want to get into it and just know about it, or at least have the option to know about it. Um, and that that's my bookkeeping course and that's open year round. But my course that I would probably recommend for everyone is my Reseller Tax Academy course. Um, and that's the one, I, I also cover bookkeeping on that, but it's more high level. I do talk about the importance of your numbers, but that's the one where, where we really get into what are the different types of taxes that resellers are subject to? What are the deductions that you need to be aware of and making sure you track? Um, do you really have to worry about the IRS and audits and that kind of thing? Um, you know, your business structure, do I need an LLC an S corp, just all that stuff. And it's good for beginners or even, um, sellers and small business owners who have been doing it for a few years. Um, uh, but that one, yeah, in late January, I'm actually running, um, it's going to be at the lowest price of the year, and then it's going to close at the very end of January for the rest of the year. So this is going to be the only time actually to get in. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's really beneficial. I'll, I'll be talking more about it all throughout the month, so I'm not going to keep talking about it here. So you can find him at Not Your Dad CPA all over YouTube, social media, everywhere. Mark too. But yeah, I have looked at all of your courses and I've been selling for seven years and it just anytime I'm all about buying a course because anytime someone who knows and is an expert can break it down for me I'm all about that so definitely stay tuned for the sale it is coming up very shortly go ahead and follow him so you can get the best deal of the year and get your books started off right for 2024 hey crew is your Amazon business set up for success this year do you know how much profit you really made on the item you just sold? Or what about this? Do you notice when the Amazon FBA fees change on a product in your inventory? 
These are just some of the reasons why I love Sellerboard and why I've partnered with them on the Your Selling Podcast. I have been using Sellerboard for four years now and I absolutely do not know how I'll run my business without it. I love how simple Sellerboard is to use. The desktop version is set up so easy as soon as you connect your Amazon account, all of your products from the past, anything you've ever sold is going to flow into that. And the way I love it and use it the most is actually when I'm outsourcing. I have Sellerboard app right on my phone and I can visually see the images of the products I'm selling today, yesterday, last month, last year, whatever I want to look at, I can see it in real time right on my Sellerboard app. Sellerboard is an affordable must have tool for all Amazon sellers. And as listeners of this podcast, they have given you two months free to try it out for yourself. There's absolutely no credit card required to sign up and you can cancel at any time. Head to yoursellingguide.com slash sellerboardprofit to set up your free trial today. Again, yoursellingguide.com slash sellerboardprofit to get your two month free trial today. Okay, so now we're gonna go back into the, the bookkeeping part. So cost of goods, there's like so many questions around cost of goods and it's, um odd how many different questions there are because it's like doesn't make sense I'm to me it's like it's cost of goods right like I don't know but um one of the questions is in like Q4 specifically like Target will always have a sale every year and you can get Target gift cards for 10% off so you can buy a $500 gift card for $450 um now I buy it I use my business card to buy the gift card and then I turn around and use the gift card for um, inventory for my business. So basically I'm using it as $53 that I got for my business. Is that right? How do you do it? How does that all get categorized in the back end? Yeah. Let me see if I can articulate this one on the fly. I, cause I have addressed this before, but I usually have a, a second to think about it and then write it out in my Facebook group or whatever. Um, but as you might imagine, the IRS doesn't like just giving us or like us getting stuff for free without it being taxable. So there are really probably two main, two main ways to treat this one. And the first is either just treating that, that free $50 as taxable income. Um, but then any inventory we buy with that will have a cost, um, we'll have a cost of goods sold that we can later deduct when we sell it. So I don't know if I said that right, but that would be the more technically correct way to account for it. Otherwise, the other way to do it is to not worry about including that free $50 as taxable income, but then later when we sell the inventory associated with that $50, we'll just just assign it a cost of goods of zero. So then you're not getting a deduction for it. And I've, I don't think I said that the greatest way, but I've like, I've mapped it out. And at the end of the day, the IRS is getting the same tax on, on those two different ways of doing it. No, that kind of makes sense. It made sense the first and the second way. And the first way I was like, I don't know. It makes sense to me what you're saying. I don't know how it would end up happening on the back end, but the zero makes more sense again though. Cause I just, you know, I don't know. I spent 900, nine, yeah, $900 and paid 500 of it with the gift card. So now I've got this other, so it's a little bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get that one out of the way. Yeah. That's, that's so the that, hardest one we'll talk about. Yeah. That's a talk to your accountant about that one or your bookkeeper. 
Um, is there a general way that sellers should be tracking their cost of goods? Like this is you, I don't know what it looks like. Is there a general way? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you were just mentioning how, what a common quest or how common the questions are surrounding cost of goods. And it's actually one of the things that got me started kind of with reselling because I mean, the, the main thing that got me started like years ago is being on a podcast of some, it was an eBay podcast of some people who sold on eBay. And they said, you know, the question we always get is, is this question about cost of goods sold? And that really got me researching. And, and I have a few YouTube videos out there about this too, if people want more information, but, but historically the required way to, to deduct cost of goods sold was when you sold the inventory. So like when you purchase inventory, that's not the deduction that just becomes an asset for you. But then later when you sell the inventory, that's when you can deduct it. So that's what has, what was required up until 2018, I think. Uh, but then they introduced new legislation that sort of opened the door to, to using what I call the cash method for inventory, which is where you just deduct it immediately when you purchase it. So then that being the case, you don't really have to track your inventory anymore, you know, because you don't have to track like, okay, what, what sold and how much did it cost? And now I can add all, all that up and get my cost of goods sold. Now I can just slide my card at credit card at the store or whatever. And, and that's my deduction. I don't have to, to worry about it. Um, so if you are, if you value simplicity, you don't really want to track your inventory. You're not as concerned with uh, getting real specific insights into your numbers on your books, then I would just use the cash method. Otherwise, uh, you just, just go the historical, what I call accrual method for inventory, which is the first way I talked about. Okay. So that is, that's a, another question that someone else had was the difference in cash and accrual. Um, so is that basically kind of the difference of them? You, yeah, for inventory. So and you have to be careful because usually when people mention cash versus accrual, they're talking about the overall method of your business. And that can be your sales or any expenses. Like the, the, the overall accrual method is, um, you know, if, if I send an invoice to a client for $100, even though they haven't paid me yet, I still have to recognize that $100 as income. So that's the accrual method. It's just, it's just the timing of your expenses and income. Okay. But, but on the overall cash method, I don't recognize the income until I actually receive that cash in my bank account typically. So when you see cash or accrual on the tax forms, that's what it's talking about. And most small businesses are, and I think should be on the cash method, but then you drill down a level to inventory and historically it, it hasn't been a question because inventory has always been on the accrual method, which is where you deduct it when you sell it. Um, but with as resellers, that's the one we're always thinking about. So that's why I always say it's the cash method for inventory. It's the accrual method method for inventory. Okay, this makes so much sense. I've been told two different things by two different accountants, and now you've broken it down to where like it makes sense totally. I understand like the two. They were just doing two different methods, and I didn't realize it. And now you've broken it down for me. 
Yeah, and I've got a couple recent videos on YouTube where I try and break that down because I just I get those questions so much, and I just wanted somewhere to refer people to, like, you know, go go watch it a couple times so it sinks in. Smart. I'm always referring your YouTube to everyone because I'm like I don't know, but here's a guy <laughs> who sells and gets it, and he's a CPA, so <laughs> that's awesome. Um, let me look. How do you, for cost of goods, how do you deal with something that you've decided to use for yourself for one reason or another? Like it didn't sell or you just decided to keep it? That one comes back to what we were just talking about. So if you were using the cash method of inventory and let's say you purchased it last year, so that means that you would have deducted it last year, but now you still have it on hand and it's the following year and you've decided that you just want to keep it for yourself, you basically just have to reverse that deduction. You okay. know what I mean? So, so you'll have to yeah, basically reverse that deduction in the current year to, you know, cause you shouldn't have taken it the prior year because ultimately you, you kept that thing for yourself. What did you, or, do you do something in QuickBooks with that? Or I'm, I'm going to refer to QuickBooks just cause that's what I use, but um, would you do something in your bookkeeping with that? Yeah, you, you could do a, you might do a journal entry to just reverse that out of your cost of goods sold. So there's, there, there's probably a, a few ways you could do it. A journal entry is one of them. You could create an expense. Uh, oh no, you're, you, yeah, you're wanting to reverse the expense. I mean, does, yeah, does there, it look like income then you could, you could book it to income or you could do a negative expense. Yeah. So that assumes you use the cash method, but if you use the accrual method, that means that you've never acted, actually deducted it yet. So then you would just, you would just make sure you excluded it from your purchases. You would make sure it's not in your inventory asset account on your books. And that's, yeah, that's getting a little bit into the weeds, but that's what you would think about. I know we talked about this before, but that would be the same for donations or is donation, like if you end up donating a bunch of stuff to a local charity or whoever you donate to. Yeah. If you donate it, it's typically because you're not able to sell them or maybe they're obsolete or whatever. And, and you would just show those as the same way you would show a sale, but for $0. So you're not generating any income, but you are deducting the cost of goods sold, the original cost. Oh, that makes sense. Last thing is if you have to throw something away. So someone, you sell something on Amazon, it's sold, it gets returned, it's not sellable. And now how are you tracking that? So similar um, to if you donate it. So whether you donate it or destroy it, or dispose of it, you're going to account for it the same way. You're, you're still going to deduct the original cost because it was still a business expense to you and there just won't be any income or sale associated with it. Moving on to the home office, another popular question that I'm sure you get all the time. Um, how much can you deduct of your home office? And my main question is, does a garage count? To qualify for the home office deduction, you just need to have a space that you use regularly and exclusively for your business. 
So it, it doesn't even have to be a whole room. It could just be a space. And um, yeah, that does include your garage. So if, if you have, let's say, a room in the house and, and your garage, you would just make sure that you include your garage square footage when you're determining the home office deduction. Because the, the, the regular home office deduction uses your office square footage and your overall square footage of your entire home to determine the percentage that you can deduct of your mortgage interest or rent or property taxes and utilities. So the garage can really increase that percentage and increase your overall deduction. And you kind of just touched on this, but you can take your mortgage, you can take, you know, your electricity, your internet, your phone, all of that kind of stuff, that percentage of it. Yeah. All those shared expenses. So if, if I have a, a thousand square foot apartment, let's say, and, and the room that I use is a hundred square feet for my office, it's 10%. So then I get to add up all of the shared expenses. So the rent, the renter's insurance, the utilities, and then multiply that by 10%. And that's my home office deduction. I've been told in the past that, um, I, I can't imagine it's still the thing, but like the home office was a red flag for the IRS because but it seems like everyone works from home now. So it's maybe not as much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some people say that was never true. Other people say if that were true, it was 30 years ago. Um, but it's, it's not, yeah, it's not a red flag bottom line. And, and like you said, everybody's at home now, so everybody should be taking advantage of it. It's not, it's not unusual anymore for the IRS to see that one of those things it's like the amazon rumor mill when there's something going on and everyone but i'm like until someone tells me like i hear from someone who it really happened to like <laughs> it's just a rumor <laughs> yeah I've, I've never never seen it be an issue I, I tell people to i mean i try and have people deduct as much as they can from it i mean some people you utilize their entire basement for their business which is about which can be up to 50 which might be 50 percent of their home if they have a 2000 square foot home and the entire basement is a thousand square feet, that's 50% of their mortgage interest, you know, which anyway, I mean, it, their home office deduction can easily be $20,000 or more. Yeah. It's a really big one that I, hopefully people are hearing and taking advantage of every part of it. Cause all the shared utilities, everything um, is yeah. A huge tax write off. And then obviously mileage is another one. Um, are there certain things people should watch out for as mileage or is it just like any, you know, business travel is you can deduct the mileage? Um, I mean, the main thing is just tracking it. Just use an app to track your mileage and you can have that record. I think that's that's the main thing the IRS is is picky about in theory. Um, so one question I get a lot of time as well, I, I wasn't tracking it. Does that mean I don't get the deduction? And I, I mean, I would still take it. Like you still incurred a lot of business miles. So if it comes down to it, if the IRS ever asked you to see it, which probably won't happen, you could go back and do your best to recreate some kind of mileage log. Um, and if they didn't accept it, I mean, I haven't seen that happen, but if they didn't accept it, then you don't get the deduction. If they do, then you do. But I mean, it's, um, I think it's 65 and a half cents per mile for 2024. Um, 
So that's pretty significant. You know, some people are driving thousands and thousands of miles going to other states. So yeah, I wouldn't forego the deduction just because you don't feel like your records aren't perfect. I had, I haven't said it in a while because it's just a horrible way of doing it and I don't want anyone to do it. But the first two years I, so we traveled in the RV and I knew in the calendar where we were because it was in, you know, what state, wherever we were at. And so I had my receipts and I had this, I used, um, it's called Dex now, but at the time it was called Receipt Bank and it would print out all the different receipts that I'd scanned. And so I literally at the end, like in April, was going to Google and doing all the mileage. It was just the worst way of possibly <laughs> doing it. And now I have my IQ and it's amazing. And I was like, what was I thinking? Not using this before. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I, I said it wrong. So it's 65 and a half cents for 2023. It'll go up to 67 cents for 2024. Oh, wow. That's crazy. The last one I remember was 55 cents. So it's jumped a lot. Yep. Um, okay. The last question I have about business and taxes is about healthcare insurance. So a lot of people, um, that's a huge concern. How do you go about paying your healthcare insurance with your business? Can you, um, all that health insurance? Yeah. So if you are a sole proprietor or a single member, yeah, if you're a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, then you can usually take advantage of, of the self-employed health insurance deduction. The self-employed health insurance deduction is a deduction where you can basically deduct the premiums that you are paying out of pocket that aren't being paid by an employer. So there are some qualifications to that one. I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but a lot of people do qualify for it. Yeah. So I can go to like healthcare.gov or whatever, sign up for a healthcare and then just use my business credit card to pay for it? it? It doesn't really matter. So if you're a sole proprietor, it doesn't matter if you're paying with the business account or your personal account, the IRS kind of sees it all as one. So you can be paying for it personally, but still take the deduction for it through your business. If you're self-employed and you don't have access to um, employer-sponsored healthcare. Oh, nice. So if I am a new seller or an experienced seller and my books are just a mess, or maybe I don't have any books at all, um, and I want to hire you, what are the steps or what happens? <laughs> you typically, um, you just send me an email. And if you already have QuickBooks online, then I would have you add me to your account so I can go in and take a look. And then I'll just kind of let you know what I see and how much it would be to clean up or for ongoing bookkeeping. Uh, I mean, that's typically where I'd, where I'd start. Or if you don't have QuickBooks online yet, um, that's what I have all my clients on. So if you're not, if your business isn't yet at a point that justifies a program like that, um, then I'd probably refer you to one of the simpler programs just to kind of try and do on your own first. But that's yeah, typically where I start. And are you, so do you take bookkeeping clients year round or do you have a set? Like, are you at your max or whatever? Um, I'm not at my max. I mean, my, my practice is definitely more tax heavy, but I, again, I do have, you know, a handful of bookkeeping clients. So I don't, I don't advertise that one as much. I just kind of take it case by case. Nice. And then your tax prepping, do you have openings for the listeners for 2023? 
or are you full? Yeah, I'm, I don't feel like I'm ever, I have a hard time saying I'm ever full, which is probably not a good thing. But I mean, there, there's always turnover because people stop selling online or, you know, a, a lot of people, they find out they get free tax preparation with their financial advisor or whatever. So there's always turnover and there's always opening in space. So yeah, if, I mean, if you're uh, feeling like you need help, feel free to shoot me an email. I would highly recommend, I've been saying this all month long, but hiring an accountant and a bookkeeper was the best thing I did for myself, for my business, because it's just a huge worry and stress that I've gotten to hire out and I don't have to worry about anymore. So to all the listeners, I highly recommend looking into hiring someone, um, email Mark and see what he's got going on, but definitely take advantage of that sale going on at the end of January for his reselling course. So one more time, where do people go to find that? So it's resellertaxacademy.com. And um, yeah, you can see more information on just my regular website at notyourdadcpa.com. Nice. And I will link all of that in the show notes. I want to thank you so much because these are, to me, seem like super complicated questions. And I just appreciate your willingness to help the reselling community through your YouTube channel overall, because it's definitely questions that come up and I won't stop referring people to you. So I appreciate everything that you do. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As a reminder, you can grab the Reseller Tax Academy at resellertaxacademy.com and you can watch Mark on year round on YouTube at Not Your Dad's CPA. I highly recommend, like I said, if you ask me an accountant question anywhere on YouTube or in my community, I'm probably going to recommend heading over to Mark's channel so that you can get all the questions because as I mentioned in this podcast, he broke down the differences between I've talked to two different accountants. They've told me two different things, which didn't make sense to me. And now Mark broke it down and I'm like, okay, it makes total sense to me. So having someone who can really truly understand what you're talking about and just break things down like that, like I think that I do for most of you listening. So hopefully he's able to help you as well. So check those out. The links are in the show notes. If you would like to be on the podcast this year, I would love to have you. You can email me at podcast at yoursellingguide.com. It lands right in my inbox and I will get back to you with more information. As always, joining the Amazon community is the best way to grow your business. So think about joining the Bolo group this year. It is an awesome community of sellers. It's open year round and we are there chatting every month, talking about different things going on on Amazon, as well as sharing those Bolos and things to look for while you're sourcing. So check that out at yoursellingguide.com slash bolo. Until next week, happy sourcing.